Imagine you're in a foreign country learning a very difficult language. Let's say Russian. You have the opportunity to teach underprivileged children, but it turns out that they barely speak the language either. What do you do? Where do you start? And what might you learn about yourself? Thousands of people participate in exchange programs every year, creating experiences that change their lives and touch the people they encounter along the way. You're listening to 2233, a podcast of exchange stories. I was with a friend and I was walking um, with him and with the woman who is now my wife, um, who was on the exchange program with me. And we were um, outside of St. Petersburg, walking through this swamp area that's what I thought was pockmarked by, you know, a variety of lots of little pools and ponds, but actually they're pools and ponds made from the, the holes from shells when St. Petersburg was, was um, under siege. And they're all over the place. As we're walking across, you know, fallen birch trees across these ponds, making our way through the woods. And this environment that is, is, is such a, uh, an embodiment of the living history of, of Russia. This week, the last stop on the Metro line, hanging out with the Baron, and a hip-hop history lesson in Moscow. On this episode, a journey from Roseburg, Oregon, to St. Petersburg, Russia, to discover the ABCs of living history. It's 2233. We operate under a presidential mandate which says that we report what happens in the United States, warts and all. These exchanges shaped who I am. That's what we call cultural exchange. When you get to know these people, they're not quite like you. You read about them. They are people very much like ourselves. And that it was possible to create... Oh, that's what we call cultural exchange. My name is Eric Swin. I'm originally from Roseburg, Oregon. I'm currently a Foreign Service officer working as a refugee officer in the Bureau of Population, Refugees, and Migration. I participated in the exchanges um, as a Fulbright ETA in South Korea, and then later I did a program focusing on Russian language acquisition in St. Petersburg, Russia. One particular um, experience I had in Russia that I think is quite unique was when um, the woman who is now my wife and I were traveling to the small village of Peri, which is about 25-30 minutes by um, Elektrichka or electric train outside of St. Petersburg, where we were volunteering with a Roma community. This Roma community is one that is settled, they're, they're no longer itinerant, and we would travel there to teach English and also Russian, actually, to the young children there who oftentimes weren't able to go to school, whether because the teachers would not want to teach to the Roman children or they didn't have the ability to access that school by transportation. And we were hosted in the Baron's house, the Baron of this village and his wife, and all the children would come and gather. Usually they would gather at the well um, where they get their water and watch us as we walked up the lane and then come join us before we got to the village and we would teach with them. Mm-hmm. 
We did this for about um, six or seven months. And I remember we started participating on this program or helping out in this village when in the in the dead of winter. This is about minus, minus 15, minus 20. And you get out to this train station in the middle of um, sort of northwest Russia. And there's nothing there apart from the train station. It stops. You're the only ones to get off. And you walk across the snow past the the one lone dog who sits outside the one small store where you we would often buy um, cakes and tea, tea snacks to give to the Baron in his house. Um, and before you get on the train, you get on the train at this sort of northernmost um, metro station outside in St. Petersburg. And there, there are a lot of Roma walking around, a lot of Russians as well. And the Russians often depart the train before you actually reach your final destination of Pity, where the Roma village is. After we'd um, gotten to know the children and worked with them, we were on the train at one point, and one of the two of the children, actually, two young men, probably about six or eight years old, were walking up and down the car. Often they asked for money, but this time they weren't. They were just eating sunflower seeds, walking up and down the car. And a Russian individual, an elderly gentleman who was sitting across from us, um, yelled at them to essentially get out of there, get off the train, had a few other choice words for them. And I watched the interaction. I didn't want to confront the man. Um, and I didn't want to put myself in between, you know, this exchange, which is tense for a variety of reasons. But I did want to show the young children we were working with that for me, they weren't different. And I was also an outsider. And for this gentleman across from me, I'm not sure if he recognized that I was not Russian. And so I asked, the two young men, if they wanted to come sit with me, I was listening to my iPod at the time and they sat one on each side of me and I offered them each an earbud from my, from my iPod to listen to some American music or podcasts I was listening to at the time. And there were no words exchanged, but I watched the expression of the man across from me, um, clearly taken aback by what was happening, not sure how to engage, probably at that moment wondering if I was indeed Russian or not. And for the children, I think it was clear that they were able to use that moment to show for themselves that they're also not necessarily different. They're also human, and they're able to engage with people who don't look like them, who are from other cultures, whether they be American or, or Slavic in origin. Those types of interactions that we had with these Roma children at the end of our time there led to a particular um, poignant memory as we're walking out of the village, I think for our last time. And we walked past this well that you know was covered in ice when we first got there. And it's now surrounded by flowers. We're walking along that path that used to be snowed, a snowy path, an icy path, and is now a dusty road. Um, and the children come from all these different houses um, and they join us at the well and they start singing the ABC song in English, which we taught them um, over the last six or seven months. And they walk with us singing the song unexpectedly as we make our way back to that train station 
where we'd first gotten off in the dead of winter and walked by ourselves um, to go meet them at the Baron's house. In, in Russia, I think one of the things that has always drawn me to to Russia is also the association that Russians have with their deep living history and and the the surroundings in the country that are so important to those people in that the history is really is really visible. You know, but all of these, all of these conversations that you have, take place in this environment that is 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 such a uh, an embodiment of the living history of of Russia, and in particular, I'm thinking of an instance where we have a friend who is an intellectual rap um, artist, and he had written a a, a song about Anna Akhmatova and her impressions of the city sort of retold as Anna Akhmatova's ghost. And Anna Akhmatova, as a Russian poet, experienced a lot of the city, whether it's her son being imprisoned and standing outside the gates of that particular prison or living in her apartment building and, and watching her colleagues and friends um, be taken and interrogated. And he's telling this story um, from the perspective of someone in 2008 who's engaged in the hip-hop scene in Russia. Retelling, retelling sort of the her story as he walks across these same bridges that she did and we walk across these same bridges that she did. And I've always felt that Russians' strong connection to their culture is something that I think any American would be, would be interested in engaging with them on. And I think it shows us a lot about the possibilities of engaging with our own culture and our own history and our own literature more as we walk around the nature that surrounds us in our lives. Christopher Wurst, director of The Collaboratory, an initiative within the U.S. State Department's Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs, better known as ECA. 2233 is named for Title 22, Chapter 33 of the U.S. Code, the statute that created ECA. Our stories come from participants of U.S. government-funded international exchange programs. 
In this episode, Eric Swin told us about his experiences as part of ECA's Critical Language Scholarship Program, an intensive overseas language and cultural immersion program for American post-secondary students. For more about ECA exchange programs, check out eca.state.gov. We also encourage you to subscribe to 2233 wherever you find your podcasts, and we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at ecacollaboratory@state.gov. That's E-C-A-C-O-L-L-A-B-O-R-A-T-O-R-Y at state.gov. Special thanks this week to Eric Swin for sharing his stories and passion about his time in Russia. I did the interview with Eric and edited this episode. Featured music during Eric's segment, From Russia with Love by the Jackie Gleason Orchestra, Russian Lullaby by the King Cole Trio, and special thanks for the use of Socks by Yeast, Yeast, Yeast from the band themselves who apparently are still pals with Eric. Music at the top of each episode is Sebastian by How the Night Came, and at the end, every week, Two Pianos by Tagirlus. Until next time. (laughs) 